the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. So on this program, we've been talking about technology uh, quite a bit over the last few years. The good things and the bad things. The good things that are coming our way. The profound opportunities that are coming our way because of technology. The problems that that technology may cause. For instance, you know, jobs. We're looking at the job numbers upside down. People who are working on AI and robotics are looking at how can we have 100% unemployment so everybody can enjoy their lives. Well, with that comes some ethical questions and some philosophical questions and, and the question of how do we navigate that transition. There's also privacy concerns and concerns about what's real and what's not, way beyond fake news. There's a new book out um, called World Without Mind. It was written by Franklin uh, Foyer, and he wrote an article that caught my eye a few weeks ago in The Atlantic, The Era of Fake News Begins, and we wanted to have a conversation with him. Uh, Franklin, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. So, Franklin, we, we talked about deep fakes, um, I think, before anybody, and at least our audience had really even heard of them, and at the mm-hmm. time, I remember talking to people even on my own staff that said, Glenn, this is so far away. And it's really not. You know, I kept saying to them, I think in the, you know, 2018, 2020, definitely 2024, this is going to be a very big problem. It's happening now. And it's just happening in the dark corners of the Internet and um, largely in the field of pornography, where so much of the Internet actually begins before it migrates to the mainstream. And it's this, it's this phenomenon where the average person now has access to technology that allows them to take a head, a picture of someone's face, and very seamlessly uh, transpose it to a body. And so you're creating these uh, manipulated images, which to the naked eye are very hard to detect as fakes. And so we just know that, um, that a technology like this is not going to stay bottled up. It's going to be exploited by bad people for bad ends. And the fact that it's so democratized and so accessible to every, every creep, everybody who's got an ex who's out for revenge, um, to coworkers. I mean, it really is a dystopian world, which we stand on the cusp of. So you know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And I and and I am I am really, truly excited about the world of tomorrow. But I am yeah. I'm split, Franklin, between if we don't do it right, if we are not paying attention every step of the way and we don't have some sort of of, uh, uh, I don't know, self-control. Yeah, uh, which we don't ex- display in anything that we do we could become slaves to this really quickly. Well, I mean, I think we, every, everyone experiences that sense of both possibility and enslavement when it comes to that device that we're all attached to now, which is our phone, that we're, uh, we're addicted to our phones. We're constantly manipulated by our phones, which uh, are being used by corporations and by media to, to try to commandeer our attention on, you know, an hourly basis. We're always being dinged and pinged. Um, 
And yet, um, we know that the phones offer us uh, great possibilities. They make our lives better, more efficient in all sorts of ways. And you raise this question of moderation. And I do think that that kind of gets to the core challenge to each and every one of us, which is that when it comes to things like food and drink, which are also addictive, right? Like if you mm-hmm. stuck a bag of, of, of uh, Doritos in front of uh, most human beings, they'd be tempted to polish it off. Or, um, uh, and yet, we still manage to teach our kids how to practice moderation when it comes to those effective things. We know how to enjoy food without... But we've, yeah. But we've had millions of years to come to that, and we've had a shortage of food. This is, for instance, the Google Assistant that was announced earlier this week. That is going to be just that is revolutionary in good, um, in so many ways. But if you look at what they're talking about on on being able to have it now write all of your emails, well, the logical thing is we're right now saying I don't want Google reading my mail. Well, Google's mm-hmm. going to be reading your mail and your Facebook well, it's, it's and reading, your, it's reading it now. Sorry. Right, yeah, <laughs> but but it's going to read your Facebook. It's going to read everything about your friends, how you communicate. It's going to learn how to speak like you and write like you and interact with your friends that that now you're in a completely different world. Yeah, no, I think that that is true. And so. Um, it, it, you know, and I think what you're saying is that we're actually in this world now and, and there's a way in which we can't stop it, that a lot of these things that we worry about as distant possibilities are actually happening today, that yes. Google's machines are reading your email now and they're using it to serve ads up to you, um, that this complete dossier about you, this very intimate portrait of the inside of your head has actually already been compiled by Facebook, by Google. I mean, people, people are just uh, very blasé about data, but data is really an X-ray of your soul, that these, these companies have amassed these portraits where they, they know everything that you've read, everything that you've bought. It's integrated with data from the outside world, from the physical world about your shopping, you know, the CVS loyalty cards. And it's a very, very powerful uh, thing, this portrait. It can be manipulated really easily. And in fact, it is manipulated by the likes of Facebook, where Facebook, is, Facebook knows the things that gives you pleasure. They know the things that cause you an anxiety. And you know what? Your news feed is shaped so that the things that you were reading are given a hierarchy by Facebook based on those pleasure points and those anxieties because Facebook wants to keep you engaged on their site for as long as possible. And so that's a, you know, those technologies and that, that, that portrait of the inside of your head that comes from data is just, it leaves us tremendously vulnerable. You brought something up in your book that um, was a new way of looking at this, uh, at least for me. I've never heard anybody else express it um, this way. Um, And, and, you know, nothing is for free. When Google yeah. says, I, here's, here, here's this, it's free. Here's this free product. It's not free. Uh, in fact, it's not a product. You are. And mm-hmm. the way these companies are now viewing us as a product, the information is really important. Can, can you go right. into the productization of people? Right. So it's your attention 
which uh, you, you're handing over to these companies. It's your personal information, which you inadvertently hand over to these companies that then get marketed to advertisers. And, um, you know, everyone says, well, you know what? It's this great deal. You get Google's email for free and sure you're surrendering, surrendering your privacy um, in order to get that, that, that awesome service. But that's a price that you seem to be willing to pay. Um, but this question of consent, how much do we really understand about what we hand over to these companies when we mm -hmm. click accept on those terms of service agreements? Those terms of service agreements are legalistic and they're long, and I haven't met a single person who's ever read one of those. <laughs> we, just, we just click accept because we, 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 we treat these companies as if they're acting in good faith. Um, we feel like we have to accept their services because – um, you, you need to be on Facebook in order to be a citizen of the world. Um, uh, sometimes your employer tells you you have to be on Facebook in order to um, be engaged in, in business. Um, and so I think that we just need to, I mean, part of it is, our, it, yeah, it is on us. It is our own fault for not taking, uh, not taking the threats to our own privacy seriously. And, it, and it's on us for not thinking through these things in a more, um, in a more, in a more rigorous sort of way. But on the other hand, we're just left kind of unprotected and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And these companies actually behave so much worse than we think that they do. Um, I mean, all these companies are selling data to outside vendors. They're giving access to our data to outside vendors. And once it leaves the control of Facebook, who knows where it ends up and who knows who's exploiting it. And, and when you talk about exploitation of this, I, I want to take you to another place. We can take a quick break and then come back. And I want, I want Franklin to describe the exploitation that is on the horizon, on how easily you can be manipulated, uh, and, and especially with things like virtual reality. You're not going to realize they're playing you. You're not playing it. They're playing you. When we come back, FEMA, not a first responder. That is what the uh, top administrator said in a speech recently from FEMA. We're not the first responder. So who is when there is a problem? Who is the first one to respond? Well, we're finally retur returning to this truth. You are. I am. We all are the first responders. So it doesn't matter what happened, you know, whether there's a problem in your local area, you know, your neighborhood, your house. Uh, or there's, you know, floods, hurricanes, fires, mudslides, whatever it is, you're the first responder. My Patriot Supply has the top-rated food kit that millions of Americans have chosen to get prepared for, you know, a disaster that could happen in their area. Popular four-week emergency food supply right now, this week, is $99. It's a super low price for security. It's shipped free to your door, but you got to call now. The number is 800-200-7163, or you can go online to preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. Last 25 years, it's easy to store. It's easy to grab and go, no matter what the emergency is. You are the first responder for your family. Call now. Be prepared. 800-200-7163. 800-200-7163 or preparewithglenn.com. Franklin Four. he is the um, he's a correspondent with The Atlantic and author of a book called World Without Mind. Uh, he wrote an article called The Era of Fake News Begins, 
Uh, and, you know, we're complaining back and forth about, you know, uh, the right is saying fake news. The left is saying fake news. We're worried about algorithms, et cetera, et cetera. But we're about to enter a very different world. Um, and can we talk a little bit about uh, first, let's explain what a deep fake is and and how that could be used to manipulate. And then I really want to go into virtual reality because. That can change everything if we're being manipulated. Right, right. And so a deep fake is, um, it, it is a technology that uses machine learning, which is a form of artificial intelligence, in order to stitch together an image. So, for instance, it's possible to create an, uh, an image of uh, Barack Obama talking where uh, you're taking a catalog of, 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 of picture of, of images of Barack Obama's face that you're able to then manipulate into a video where his lips are moving as if Barack Obama is, uh, is, is, is actually talking. Um, yet it's really just a computer that's manipulating those images of his lips talking. And, and then, um, and then there's the possibility that we can, that, that a voice can be manipulated by artificial intelligence to then, say whatever we program it to say. And in fact, I recommend there's a pretty hilarious um, public service announcement uh, that's done by Jordan Peele, the comedian, yeah. where he does this with Barack Obama, where he, 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 Barack Obama looks like he's delivering a sermon about the dangers of deep fakes. And, and, and in the middle of this uh, video clip, they then cut to the comedian Jordan Peele and we see that he's actually impersonating Obama and that Obama isn't saying the things that we think that he's saying. It's being said by this kind of uh, puppeteer um, who's uh, using Obama as a ventriloquist. And, and what, the dangers of that should be obvious, right? Right. Well, and once you get the voice right, which just voice uh, duplication, the, 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 the ground that has been covered and how good it is from, you know, two years ago to today is remarkable we're not far away from being able to recreate people's voices but when you watch that video the only thing that's off is the voice once you get the voice you wouldn't you would swear that that was barack obama right exactly and in the nature of our machines is that the more data we feed to them the better that they get correct that they're constantly teaching themselves to improve and so um, just given the data that, that we're, it is go back to the, the conversation before the break, when we give these companies um, our data, every time we click on Facebook, every time we click on Google, every time you, um, you do all these little things on the internet, you're actually supplying the data that makes these machines better, that makes it possible to get to this kind of new dystopian age that we're talking about. How far away do you think we are from this new dystopian age? Well, I think we're, in, we're, we're, we're kind of in it now. We're, in, we're just in the earliest days, right. and it's just hard to see a lot of the consequences. When it comes to something like deep fakes and, the, and, and rampant manipulation of video, I think we're still maybe you know, two or three years away from it becoming something that populates people's social media feeds and actually has Real impacts in our, in, yeah, in our politics and in our social lives. Um, but, you know, the question, the question that everybody always is asking is, you know, have we already left the age where priv is privacy over? 
is there any is there any chance that we can salvage this distinction between a public life and a private life? Um, can we and, can we can we take yeah. a break here? Let's take a break here, and when we come back, I, I want you to explain that. And I also want to go into virtual reality a little bit on what is private anymore. Will you have privacy anymore? We'll wrap up our conversation uh, with uh, Franklin Four. World Without Mind is the name of his book coming up. The Era of Fake News. Franklin Four, he is a, uh, uh, he's a writer, has a, a book out called The World Without Mind, The Existential Threat of Big Tech. Uh, and uh, he is also uh, a correspondent for The Atlantic, where he wrote that article, The Era of Fake News Begins. Um, we're just talking about, we, we left the conversation with with privacy and and Franklin, people will say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't mind if they have it. Um, however, everything is starting to be connected, and there is no end or beginning of your private life and your public life. And we are seeing not some dystopian movie, but we're actually seeing a government implement all of these dystopian ideas in China. Yes, yes. Yes, and that's, I mean, there, there are two things that really concern me. The first is that, um, that over time, when we feel like somebody's always looking over our shoulder, we'll cease to be free-thinking, independent people. That in order to formulate an opinion, in order to arrive at your own view of the world, um, you need to be guided by your conscience. And in order to do that, you need to be able to turn over ideas in your head. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to explore an idea, I may go read people who I really disagree with in order to figure it out. I need to try on things. I need to, I need to engage. I may engage with some odious people in, in the course of formulating my opinion. I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't have to worry about that. But we've already, I, do, I mean, without technology, we have already passed that. I mean, that's kind of this, you know, intellectual dark web thing that is so appealing to me is... I, I we have to hear ideas. We have yeah. ideas are not dangerous. <laughs> you know, right. they they can be if they're implemented, but we need to hear all viewpoints and be allowed to say, wait a minute, I think that's a crazy idea. We have yeah. to have that. Yeah. Well, and and it's I mean, it, but but we're really not in an in an especially bad place yet relative to where we could be. So, right now you can still if you want to, if you want to find somebody's book, you can find it on Amazon. You're not going to lose your job. You don't, at least I don't think you should fear losing your job because mm-hmm. you go buy a book on Amazon or you go to check out a piece on Google or you listen to somebody's YouTube channel. But you can easily imagine that once that information becomes kind of more transparently available to everyone, then you actually will that chilling effect will will take place and you will be scared to do something like that. Well, and I mean, one of the things that I, I mean, the, I, the, the, the Atlantic is the place that fired uh, Kevin uh, Williams. Uh, I mean, it Williamson. Williamson. I mean, that was pretty chilling. He had an idea and said something and it was, you know, to, to put a thought out there and it was, you know, not a thought I agree with, but he lost was, his job. It was, it was publicly available and it was, it's more complicated than just uh, it's an idea. It had to do with the way that it was, it was expressed in communications between the editor and writer, which is a question where there's trust involved. And so that's a, that's a, that's a different, a different question. 
Um, but but you're right. I mean, we're not that far off yeah. from this universe. And in the China example you just gave at the beginning, I find especially chilling. Very so much. So this question of like this question of how do we deal with these companies? How do we deal with this data? The idea that ultimately we could end up having a relationship brokered between big companies and the government, which is what what's happened plenty of times in our yep. past history. Like AT and T yep. was a monopoly that basically cut a deal with the government. And uh, you know, Zuckerberg was asked by uh, one of the senators, um, you know, you're a monopoly. Uh, maybe we should just regulate you. And he said, you know what? The internet needs to be regulated. Oh. And it was Lindsey Graham. And Lindsey Graham said, well, can you submit? Can you submit a set of regulations that might work to us so we can consider them? <laughs> and, and just this idea that you could have this uh, brokered relationship yeah. between these companies that control so much data, that have so much manipulative power, and the government is something that I think that we actually need to be fearful of in the long run. And yes. so my, my, my approach, and I think this is an interesting place where um, we're seeing ideology fracture and strange bedfellows start to come up, is that we're starting to talk about monopoly again in this country. That, you know, uh, liberals typically uh, fear private power. Conservatives typically fear public power. Um, but we're in this realm where, you know, our founders were worried about dangerous concentrations of power in all forms. And they were especially concerned about dangerous concentrations yep. of power when it came to areas of communication. So, um, and it, yeah. Go ahead and finish up. Well, I just wanted to say one thing, which is that, you know, at the beginning, you made the point, which I agree with, which is that, you know, this technology is both empowering and it's dangerous. Uh, but I want, you know, there's something, you know, te technology is something that's defined us as a human species. Our ability to affect the environment is something that kind of rises us above all the other species on this planet. And we've always used tools and technology and, and they've automated hammers automate part of uh, what we do with our, uh, with our bodies, factories, automated upper body strength. Um, but these machines are different because they're intellectual technologies. They automate mental functions and we're merging with them as a species that, you know, man and machine is, are becoming one. Sergey Brin, who's the, the co-founder of Google, yep. talks about the day when Google will be implanted in your brain. And I don't think that that's necessarily such a distant fantasy. No, I think it's what and, it's what Stephen Hawking referred to uh, as the end of Homo sapiens as we know it by 2050. He just means that we are going to integrate with technology. Franklin, I've I've got to go, but I I'd love to have you back to finish this conversation uh, another time. World without mind, the name of the book, existential threat of big tech. Thank you so much, Franklin. I appreciate it. Glenn Beck, the Blaze Radio Network.